Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, Father, we say thank you. Nothing is impossible. I've got that really old song going through my head, an old Sunday school song we'd sing, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing is too difficult for thee. And you know, we used to sing scripture and song. This is a good thing. I'd like to prophesy a revival of scripture in song. Hallelujah. <laughs> because it's the word of God that's active and powerful and mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. I've got so much scripture in my head from having sung it for so many years as a child. Many of you'd be able to testify the same thing, correct? Well, I believe that the Word of God is something that the Lord is wanting us to value in an increased way because it is the power of God. It, it, the Word of God is not just a good suggestion. The Word was God and the Word is God. Hallelujah. Kenneth Hagin prophesied that when the Word and the Spirit came together, there'd be a, the, a, the last outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the earth. And, you know, I really believe that God is wanting to do that in our day. Hallelujah. As we, as we recognize that as we trust him, he is faithful and he is good. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I want to just start today by looking at Matthew chapter four. If you've got your Bibles. It's the story here of Jesus when he was finishing up 40 days in the wilderness. Now, a lot of people think that when you're in the wilderness, it's because you're having to deal with something in your flesh, trying to sort something of your flesh out. Yet Jesus, having been baptized in the river by John, John the Baptist, came up out of the water, and what were the words of the Father? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You would imagine that he probably didn't have anything to have to deal with in the wilderness. Jesus was without sin, we know that, hallelujah. Yet he was led by the Holy Spirit to fast and to pray for 40 days. He wasn't fasting and praying to kill his flesh. He wasn't fasting and praying to get free from sin. He was having a spiritual retreat with the Father. Hallelujah. That's what I like to treat fasting as, not as a deprivation of my flesh as much as an opportunity to have a unhindered spiritual retreat with God. Hallelujah. And then at the end of his fast, he was hungry. I am not surprised. I get hungry after a couple of hours really hungry, quite desperate. Two meals missed and I'm really desperate for food. And so coming up out of the wilderness, he's, he's there. It says here in verse two, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's a real thing. He felt hunger. He had a natural need. And then the enemy came and he offered an unholy solution to a natural desire. That's the way he so often works. Presenting here, I've got a solution, a quick fix for your 
desire. Was the fact that Jesus was hungry when he was fasting evil? No. But the enemy took advantage of it. It says here, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, questioning his identity, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I can imagine the stones would have looked a bit like bread after 40 days of not having anything to eat. Yeah. You know, if Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, it had to be a temptation that he felt. Because if he didn't feel any desire for food, then it wouldn't have been a real temptation. Yet sin only comes when there's two parties coming into agreement. And Jesus didn't give the enemy the time of day. When the enemy came, I love this way, the way that Jesus dealt with it. He didn't say, oh my goodness, why am I feeling this? What's wrong with me? Why do I, why am I even entertained? What, where is this coming from? Why am I having these evil thoughts? Oh, what's wrong with me? Maybe I need to go back into the wilderness for another 40 days to try and deal with my evil flesh. No, he didn't do that. The moment he felt this evil opportunity to fulfill a natural, strong desire, he counted it with the Word of God. He didn't even go, oh, oh, I'm afraid of this. This is terrible. What's wrong with me? He just went, this is what the Word of God says, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I see your unholy solution to my natural desire and I declare the word of God that there is supernatural provision for my natural desire. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. He was encouraging himself in the word of God that my need here is being supernaturally met. There is everything you need found in him. God doesn't just ask you to resist a temptation. He provides a better solution for you. Hallelujah. Every time you resist the devil, you can know God's got something so much better for you in the very area you've been tempted in. That's good news. Now this idea of temptation is what dogs the people of God so often because they buy into the lie that somehow the temptation's coming from within them. What's wrong with me that I'm feeling tempted? Now the enemy would love you to believe that because in believing that you then begin to, to question your identity which was his desire when he came to question Jesus. He wanted him to question his identity. Your identity as new believers, as believers in Christ, is that you have become the righteousness of God. 
You have become new creations. You've been given brand new hearts with a brand new nature. You've been given the very nature of God. That is, you've been given the righteousness, the holiness, the purity of God now is your identity. So I am as righteous as God. So if you believe the lie that, there must be something wrong with me that I'm feeling temptation, Even if you didn't succumb to the temptation, you're succumbing to a deceit that will rob you of your power. He's nasty. He'll have a go all the time to rob you of your identity, but the Father is looking for you not to buy in one iota. He's looking for you to go, hey, let me tell you some truth. I'm gonna speak the word of God. This is my opportunity to remind myself of truth, hallelujah. We need to be very, very careful to fight for the basic, simple truth of the gospel. The simplicity of the revelation of justification by faith. I am the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We can quote it, we can say it. But God wants you to feel it, experience it, believe it, and act on it. Hallelujah. He wants you to know, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that when I came to you, I brought you my sin, my shame, and my old identity, and I exchanged it for your forgiveness, your mercy, your cleansing, your righteousness, your holiness, your very nature. You cut away my crookedness. My crookedness became straight. You who came to make the crooked places straight made me who was crooked, straight, clean, holy, as righteous as God that I would be compatible with the Son of God. Hooray! People sometimes when they're thinking about this, wonder, you know, what is this salvation? They, sometimes when I'm sharing the gospel with people, they say, well, don't all religions, you know, preach pretty much the same stuff. No, they don't. No, they don't. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only one where God came and he died and rose again so that you could have his nature. It says here in Romans chapter two, verse 12, when people who have never been exposed to the law of Moses commit sin, they'll still perish for what they do. And those who are under the law of Moses and fail to obey it are condemned by the law. For it's not merely knowing the law that makes you right with God, but doing all the law says that will cause God to pronounce you innocent. For example, whenever people who don't possess the law as their birthright commit sin, it still confirms that a law is present in their conscience. For when they instinctively do what the law requires, that becomes a law to govern them, even though they don't have Mosaic law. It demonstrates that the requirements of the law are woven into their hearts. They know what is right and wrong, for their conscience validates this law in their heart. Their thoughts correct them in one instance and commend them in another. 
So this judgment will be revealed on the day when God, through Jesus the Messiah, judges the secret hidden of the hidden secrets of people's hearts. And their response to the gospel I preach will be the standard of judgment used in that day. What he's saying is that everybody has been given a conscience and they recognize when they do something wrong. From when they're tiny, they know it's wrong to kill. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to lie. After doing it over and over again, you can uh, sear your conscience and it, it, it becomes less and less loud. But God put it within everybody. And you know what? Nobody, not those with the law, not those without the law, no one has ever been able to live up to the standard of holiness and righteousness that God is. Nobody was able to achieve holiness. Even the best person in the world has never lived without sin. God, who is light, can't have fellowship with darkness. God desperately wants to have continuous fellowship with you and I. So, he came as a man, experiencing everything you and I experience in terms of temptation, yet was without sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. He went to the cross, bore our sin, died and rose again so that there could be a supernatural divine exchange as he offers not only forgiveness of sins, but he offers a brand new life, eternal life, a new identity in Christ. Hallelujah. He says, I'm going to give you my righteousness. You're going to be born again, this time not of a corrupted seed, but you're gonna be born out of my side, hallelujah, out of my death and burial and resurrection, a new bride has been formed and anyone who will believe in me can be supernaturally born again with the nature of Christ, hallelujah. It's the good news of the gospel, hallelujah. It says in Romans 8, verse three, for God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish, because the law was limited by this weakness of human nature. God was able to do what we couldn't do. God came and he gave us a way of escape. He gave us the freedom to receive holiness, to become righteous. Romans 6 verse five says this, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Say was. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. This is our invitation, hallelujah. He says in Romans 1.17 that the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So what he commends us to do every day is to wake up 
and not to let whatever we're feeling dictate our state of being. As we wake up and go, oh, I don't think I had a very good night's sleep, I don't feel great, I feel a bit cranky. Instead of even going there, you open your eyes and you say, thank you, Lord, this is the day that you've made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today I reckon myself dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ. Lord, I remind myself, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I was crucified. I don't have to try and deal with my flesh. It died with you. Hooray, I've been set free from me. I have power now to choose what is right. It doesn't mean that I don't have the capacity to sin. I still have a free will. But I have power, hallelujah, not to be ruled by that. I have power to take hold of and access the supernatural provision to be the answers for all of my desires. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. I reckon myself dead today. Dead indeed. Like, that's done. Hooray. Thank you, God, that today I'm not defined by how I feel. Thank you, God, that you are better than I feel like I deserve. Hooray. I, I used to struggle with this so much. I used to believe that if I got alone with God, he'd want to sort me out. My experience growing up with authority figures, school and different ones, was basically they really only talked to you if you needed some correction. And there wasn't like, they didn't go out of their way to come and say, hey, I just needed to stop you today to say, you look great. Just didn't really happen. So if a teacher or an authority figure would come up to you, it would be like, uh-oh, what did I do? And you know, we can subtly put that on God. I would go to God and okay, okay, set aside time with God now. Okay, God, I'm here. Have your way. I'm opening my heart. I'm open wide. You can just go for it. Come on, get me. Sort me out. I was taught that his rod and his staff comfort me because his rod is used to whack me over the head when I'm naughty and his staff is to pull me into line. Hallelujah. That's what I was taught. However, you know what? That's not true. But I'd go to God, okay, God, here I am. Come on, sort me out. Sort me out. Just go deep. Like I'm opening the deep, hidden, dark places of my heart. Come on, like God, you know me better than me. Come on, just sort me out. I know that there's like, you know, crooked stuff in there. I just want it all clean. Make me clean. Purify my lips. Touch me with the coal. Do whatever you have to do, God. Just burn me, God, so I can be clean. Purify my heart. Cleanse me from within, God. I need your cleansing. Problem is, as holy and religious as that sounds, is actually complete unbelief. It's saying that I don't believe that it's enough to just reckon myself dead and clean, completely righteous, as righteous as God. No, surely there's got to be a deeper work than that. 
Surely there's got to be more to it than that. It just doesn't feel fair that you could just like, what? Just label me completely as righteous as God? Does anyone else ever understand what I'm talking about? But the Bible doesn't teach us that we have to believe that there's something crooked about us. In fact, it says faith pleases God. The righteous shall live by faith. That means we have to believe that we're righteous. It's, it's a bit tricky because our human head goes, that doesn't seem quite fair. You know, surely I should pay for that for a little while. Surely that must disqualify me for a bit. But you see, God is better than you think you deserve every day. He doesn't get tired of it. He doesn't go, right, I forgave you once. We cleaned this. I gave you, I gave you my nature and look what you've done. Don't want to talk to you for a while. Go on, try and sort it out. Come back when you're clean. Yet subconsciously, that's basically what I was saying to God. The blood of Jesus, the mercies of Christ are new every morning. It's done and now he asks you as you come to him, not to sort yourself out, but to humble yourself and receive what you feel like you have no right to deserve. Every day you have an opportunity to do a great act of faith. That is when you are feeling dirty, unclean and unworthy to go, I believe I'm as righteous as God. It takes faith. I mean, I'd I'd repent and then I'd think to myself, but I'll really repent later properly. (laughs) Because I feel like I can't just like say sorry to you now just in the car like this. We really need to like. I'm not undermining repentance. I believe it's so important. But let me tell you, I'm wanting to emphasize belief. I was great at repentance. I was terrible at receiving. God isn't impressed with your religious acts. He's much more delighted when you will believe, when you will trust him, when you'll say, Lord, I believe you've made me clean. Hallelujah. I remember once I was, um, I'd taken a job uh, teaching jazz singing. And it it was interesting. I'd go there and for the first time in my life, people started saying, oh, you should join our band. Come and sing in the casino. Come and do this. And I was like, oh, they think I'm all right. Felt really good. I was like, that's great. I'm only allowed to be a backing singer at church, you know. This is nice. And I heard the Lord say, no, it's not for you. Don't do it. Walk away. This isn't good for you. I'm like, I can handle it. It's okay. I'm right. We're all good. Tell me more. This went on for a few weeks. Come and sing at the casino. You're awesome. You know, you'd be great. Come. I think I even went and did a couple of auditions. 
And then I'd go and have my prayer time at home. I remember one morning. I'm not saying that people can't sing in the secular world. God bless you. Just for me, at that stage, it was dangerous because it was feeding a need in an unholy way. So I went to the Lord. I'm just having my quiet time trying to pray. And I have a vision of a bird flying with a string attached to a big rock. And the Lord said, you need to cut that so you can go higher. And I knew I had to just give that job up. So I was so shocked by this vision, I rang up and I resigned on the spot. (laughs) But then I thought to myself, it took me weeks. You've been talking to me about this for weeks. Here am I wanting to preach the gospel, believing I'm called to go to the nations, heal the sick, see the glory of God come with fire. And I can't even obey you in the simplest, silliest thing. I'm so sorry, God. But then I didn't stop there. I just went on grieving about how terrible I was and how pathetic I was. I couldn't even do one little thing for God. And so I spent the next week just every day in my prayer time, oh God, I'm so terrible. It was at the time that the joy was being poured out during the mid-90s. And you'd go to these meetings, everyone's laughing and happy and all I could do was cry. And then I'd look around and think, I don't like this laughing stuff. (laughs) Yeah, all happy, I'm serious about God. This is terrible, God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Praise the Lord, he eventually got me. But this is how it happened. One morning, I was praying, oh God, have mercy on me, I'm so sorry, forgive me, oh, it's terrible, I'm terrible. And the Lord just said, come on, let's just get up at the piano and start to sing. So I got up on my piano and I started to play. And the Lord just downloaded a song to me. And I began to sing it. You think that you've fallen too far from grace. You hear his voice, yet you still hide your face in shame. But I've covered your sin, I've taken your shame, I've paid all your debts, now I'm calling your name. I went to the cross, had the nails through my hands, and now I'm calling for my little lost lambs. It took me a little while sang it a few times, and I realized, God, you are better than I feel like I deserve. You've forgiven all of my sin. You've taken all of my shame, and you've made me new on the inside. I've been calling what you've made holy unrighteous. I've been calling what you've made clean unclean. Oh, thank you, God, that even if my heart condemns me, you are greater than my heart. 1 John 3. Oh, God, thank you. You know, I went to the meeting that night. I was doused in holy laughter. I was celebrating. Because as as I went to the Lord, I didn't actually know what to expect, but I was there worshiping the Lord And the Holy Spirit touched me and I fell down in his presence. I was just lying on the floor. I turned my head 
I opened my eyes and I had an open vision of the face of Christ. And he was looking at me with such soft, love-filled eyes that I just lost it. I, I lost control. I, I, I was so overwhelmed that he would look at me. He had not one trace of judgment or disappointment or frustration in his face. He looked at me like someone who is so utterly in love would look at their beloved. Just, they, they call it puppy dog eyes. That's how he was looking at me. You say, where's that in the Bible? <laughs> Song of Songs. Chapter 2, verse 14. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. You've ravished my heart with one glance of your eye. This is how God thinks about you. Every day when you're looking and thinking and feeling like a hypocrite, he's there going, please believe because I want to open the eyes of your understanding to engage with the love that I have for you, this love that is beyond your capability to possibly comprehend. I want to give you supernatural power so that you can enjoy it to the overflow and the fullness of all that I have for you. Yeah. I want you to pray to be filled with supernatural strength that you would experience this love that passes knowledge because when I look at you, I see one who is utterly clean, completely holy, as righteous as my son. And I want to rescue you from the treadmill and the merry-go-round of lies that you've been on. And I want you to come and run and leap and skip with me on the mountaintops. I want you to run with me and experience the fullness of joy that I have for you. I want you to come and I want you to know that you are not a victim. You are not who you were. As I am, so are you in this world. Hallelujah. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives and dwells and is upon you. The same works that I do, these works that I do, Jesus said, and greater works will they do. Who was he talking about? Was he talking about the ones that have achieved a spiritual height where the ones that have, you know, really let God go deep, cut deep and burn them. No, he was speaking, and it's so not humanly fair. He was speaking to anybody who would humble themselves like a little child and believe. He was saying, these miracles, you get saved today, if you will just believe that it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you, today you are qualified. 
to give what I have given to you. You are qualified to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You are qualified to be loved just as I am loved. Hallelujah. You are qualified to consider yourself holy and righteous. And if you do, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Today, I dare you to believe. Because when you'll believe it, you'll begin to engage in the righteousness, peace, and joy that truly is the kingdom of God. Amen? Father, we say thank you. Thank you for your mercy. New every morning. Daddy, you are wonderful. (laughs) God wants us to believe that he's always happy to see you. You know, God doesn't get offended and hold a grudge. Even if you've messed up over and over and over again, he doesn't go, can't be bothered with that one. He's there going, just believe that I've given you my nature. Just believe that you are righteous because when you believe it and you remember who you are, you'll become a doer of the works. When you believe who you are, you will manifest the fruit of what you believe on the inside. I believe today there's people that God is just moving on your hearts right now. And he's smashing some lies that you've believed. God is not an authority figure that's only interested in correcting you. His main aim is to lavish love on you beyond what you're emotionally, physically, or spiritually able to candle. This is his desire. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.